Good afternoon. This is Philip Jones from the Word Necromancers podcast. And I'm here today with a very talented person named Kimberly Miltimore. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Not too bad. I've been uh, keeping really busy lately. Um, the day job's keeping me busy, but I recently got some uh, feedback from beta readers on my second novel that was really quite good. So um, according to my editor, we're doing well. It looks like we're going to have a call here soon to set some dates. And so it's exciting to, you know, move on to the next novel and then it'll be number three that I start on. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so exciting! I can't wait to get book two in my hands. So that'll. Be, oh, thank you. That'll be so. You're thinking maybe late summer, early fall, maybe. We're hope. Well, I think we're shooting for early summer. Ooh, I think it'll great. be pretty. I think it'll be pretty soon. How about you? You've got some exciting things going on too. I've seen on social media. Yes. Well, I'm. It's more of a trial by error sort of situation for me. Um, as much as I liked my original cover, I realized it just wasn't speaking to the right demographic for the book. So mm-hmm. um, we're doing a 2.0 version that actually should be live when this podcast comes out. So it's a different look. It's a little closer to more of a cozy mystery look versus more of a horror look the original cover had. Um, So I'll be interested to see if that changes anything as far as sales go. Um, But it's, it's been interesting to learn that, you know, just because that's the first image that really grabs you and you think, oh, I love this might not be the right one for the book. So absolutely. I think, and I think that covers book covers can be really tricky because I did like your first cover as well and then as you were you know we were talking and you were talking about oh you know this has a little bit of a more of an Agatha Christie and it it is more of a um it has more in common with the mystery uh genre than it does the horror genre yes it does. And so when you were kind of exploring that and you were explaining that to me, I was, I, I agreed a lot because, um, and I love the new cover that you're looking at too. So that's exciting. Yeah, I really do too. And I like that um, we already kind of have plotted what book two and book three are going to look like. They're going to have some of the same motifs. It's just the color scheme is going to change. So there'll mm-hmm. be some continuity there between the three books. So that's fun. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah. So well, it's exciting because I have the original cover in heart in in my possession as a as a dead tree book. Yes. And so now I'll be able to get the new one. So when you become super famous, I can go. Oh, look! I have the original cover. You have the collector's cover. Yes. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some very cool guests we talked to today um, who are just a plethora of knowledge when it comes to marketing, like this side of things I'm looking at. Uh, also, kind of the uh, mishmash of genres, someone who's working in sci-fi and fantasy. So tell us a little bit about who we chatted with. So the, um, the first person we chatted with is a gentleman uh, by the name of Grant Craven, who is actually a, um, like us, local. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a, a book called Secrets of the Kraken, which was published uh, about two years ago, and he's working on 
uh, some other stories in the same universe, and he was delightful to share time with. And the other person that we spoke to is uh, a woman by the name of Ryan Leslie, who is the uh, who is better known on the, her social media platforms as the witch. And she wrote a book called River, which is kind of a, a young adult kind of fantasy, which mm-hmm. sounded really interesting as well as she was telling us a little bit more about um, her story and some of the the things that happened there. So they, I'm very excited. Both of these books are on my reading list. I don't know about you. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're on yeah. my Goodreads list for sure. And because yeah. we had such fun talking with both of them, the interviews went probably a little longer than we were planning. So what we've decided to do is we're going to have a part one and a part two. So today yes. you will have the part one of both interviews. And then um, next installment, episode three, will be part two. That's right. It's kind of exciting. They're both really interesting people to interact with. So I hope that people enjoy listening to the conversation as much as we had having the conversation with them. Oh, absolutely. And we would really love it if you um, would like to give us some feedback on the show. Please feel free to reach out to us on our social media as well. Uh, I am at uh, K.A. Miltimore. And Philip, what's your at sign? And my at sign is P-J-T-A-N-T-O-N-71. Perfect. So, please enjoy listening to Grant and the Witch. Enjoy. Today on the Word Necromancers podcast, it is my pleasure to introduce author Grant Cravens, author of Secrets of the Kraken, which was published in 2017. Welcome to the show, Grant. Hi, thank you for having me. We are so pleased to have you here. With us also, of course, is Philip M. Jones, my co-host in crime. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I think all three of us are here in Seattle, is that right? I'm I'm actually up north in Everett. Oh, okay. But, uh, oh, neighborhood. I, yeah, close I enough. Have, <laughs> I've lived I've lived in Seattle. I lived on the east side. I've been all over. So, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got three Northwest folks here then, and at least in my patch of the sky, it's kind of sort of sunny. So, I, don't I think I'm actually the only one who's in Seattle. Of the three, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> yes, I yeah, say Seattle, fine. but I'm I'm south. I'm south yeah. South oh, Sound. Wow. <laughs> so but nobody ever knows i mean if i said auburn right would anybody right. know probably not so that's why i say seattle yeah. <laughs> well welcome to the podcast we're thrilled to have you as a guest um i'm just getting started on your book but i'm really excited to talk with you and kind of hear some of your process and and what writing this has meant to you um philip i know you were going to kick us off do you have kind of our first question yes i was going to start out by you know we we've kind of reviewed some of the material and i'm really interested in like you you've written this um story that mm-hmm. you described as being a cross between 20,000 leagues under the sea meets firefly which are both really fantastic um, stories, in my opinion, I love them both. 
So tell us a little bit, like, what was your, uh, it sounds like that was your inspiration. What is your target audience here? Who do you think is the audience or audiences that would be most drawn to the novel you've written? See, that's a, that's a fantastic question because I, when I write books, I write books that I want to read. Yes. Um, and so when people say target audience, when I was kind of getting this ready for publication, I was like, well, is this a young adult book? Because there's the, you'll you'll find the boat is full of teenagers at one point. Um, you know, is this a, a there's a category called new adult, which is fantastic. Um, people who are just coming into getting out of college and saying, well, what is life all about? Um, I kind of just go for general general audience um, because honestly, there's I feel like there's a little bit of something here for for most people. Absolutely. Well, I think that that's that's a really great way to look at it because you even look at some other novels, and I'm not I'm not saying these novels to compare them to yours because I don't think that they are the same. But even like, you know, with like the Twilight series, I mean, there were the it was targeted for the teen girls, but really there were all these Twilight moms that loved it, and because it, it, whether you liked them or not, there it appealed to a lot of different types of people and I think that's a sign of a good you know a pretty decent novel is when you have people from very different um kind of tastes coming together and enjoying it Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah I'm I'm excited to get into it Sunday is my reading day so that's that's when I'm gonna get cracking on the cracking hey look at that (laughs) um but can you tell us a little bit about the novel and kind of the genesis and and give us some tidbits so back gosh going way back into the early aughts um I was kind of getting this itch I wanted to write a uh kind of a space story with a small ship and a small crew which Honestly, I don't think we saw a lot of uh, up until the early aughts. And I'm starting to compile stuff and designing spaceships and figuring out characters. And this was probably, you know, middle of my college career. So we're talking 2004. My friend's like, hey, have you seen the show Firefly? And I'm like, I have not. And she just got the DVD. So we're sitting down watching them together. And there's this show. It's a small ship and a small crew, and they're out having adventures. And I remember just mentally taking everything and dropping it into the trash can, <laughs> and going, "Well, this is not going to get any better than what I'm what I'm seeing on the screen right now." <laughs> um, and through kind of uh, retooling and um, you know scrapping things together, combining a couple of different universes together that I had in my head, uh, they went from being on a spaceship to a submarine. Um, which I actually find far more terrifying. The ocean is terrifying. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, being, in, being in a metal tube in the ocean is just like kind of precarious dance. If you, if you go far, uh, too far down, you, you just, the ocean just crushes you. And there's <laughs> and if, nowhere to escape either. Mm-mm, no. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if, I feel like if you're reading closely, this feels like a space story, but it is, in fact, you know, a submarine story. Interesting. Would you say it kind of dances the line a little bit toward horror because you are in that underwater pressure environment? or um, it, it doesn't, but I definitely think there are some scenes in it that are genuinely terrifying. Okay. Um, the, the aforementioned Kraken do play a significant part of the story, <laughs> and the characters will run into a couple of them a couple of times. 
That's great. Who are kind of the characters that you've got in this universe? So the main character is uh, Captain Kate Molyneux or Molyneux. I've never found a correct pronunciation of how to pronounce that name. Molyneux is the kind of name that's in the zeitgeist, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with like designers like Peter Molyneux. Uh, she is um, a basically they are a merchant marine ship that's uh, called the Civilian Navy. Uh, they're just a cargo ship, carry cargo and passengers uh, between ports. That's her job. That's what she wants to do. Kate also comes from a family of geniuses, essentially. Mm. Um, so she is she is the middle child of 13 brothers and sisters. Um, and if you go back in her family tree, you'll find people uh, like Leonardo da Vinci or Joan of Arc or mm. those kinds of people. Great leaders, great artists great thinkers. Her brother is a uh, world-renowned industrialist, a philanthropist. Um, her second oldest brother basically runs what we would call Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is world famous for that, and she is by all accounts a competent boat captain. And there's definitely pressure on her family to deal with that. Um, and other pressure as well. And I, you know, I I think she's an absolutely brilliant person. Um, And and then, you know, we have her crew. And her crew is... um, Wow, I don't know how... (laughs) That that sentence started and then didn't finish in my head. But um, the the story is basically this small ship. So eight people in a ship and them bouncing off of each other. And Kate trying to hold everything together. when the inciting incident happens and trying to figure out what she's going to do and how her life is going to proceed forward. Hmm. Interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the world you've created? You've got characters that are not human, um, but it sounds like the world building that you've done, is, it mirrors our world pretty closely in some ways. Can oh, you tell oh, us yeah. a little bit about that? Oh, definitely. Um, it is and it isn't. You know, the the planet itself has a lot less landmass. Um, when you start putting people in submarines, you have to start answering questions like, well, why don't they just fly? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is this, the, the world can be very, um, climate can be very violent at times. So lots of hurricanes, lots of just weather that's actively hostile to developing uh, uh, air transportation. So, that gives us this excuse to keep people in submarines and keep people all over the ocean. When the ocean gets rough, you go under it. Or when the weather gets rough, that's as it were. Really, that's really great because I think a lot of writers um, or storytellers don't t- pay that much attention to the detail. Mm. And they, they want us just to accept, well, this is what they do. So I really appreciate that you took the time to do that kind of development in your world because... Um, it, it shows that you didn't get sloppy, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, as for the characters, I mean, this is, um, man, this used to be such a bad word years ago, but I, I am a furry. I come from furry backgrounds. And so I want my characters to be talking animals as much as possible. Um, and this is one of those things that I don't feel I have to justify. They are what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, you know, you get a mix of talking animals and you get humans in there. Billy who is Kate's doctor as a human. And sometimes I think about how weird his life must be, where he's on a boat 
where the seven other people are not human beings. They're talking red pandas and lions and uh, dogs and cats, and that's just how his life is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fun, though. That's, yeah. Yeah. That is. I mean, my my book, I've got three talking animals also. So um, there's an appeal to that, for sure. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in mine, it's more they're, they're given that opportunity through the kind of the magic of an item versus mm-hmm. that's just kind of how they are and how they exist. Um, right. But that's cool. That's that's nice that you've kind of woven that into the storytelling there. And then as as for the world itself, um, there's definitely places that are bottled on real places. So Kate is very, very British. Um, and she's, you know, Scottish, but her family, she, her family will polish up to a very Englishness. Um, as kind of a way of keeping appearances, but when she's drunk, she becomes very Scottish, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, and her accent starts slipping out a little bit. Um, and yeah, I kind of just said, well, I want an analog of Japan over here, and I want an analog of Hong Kong over here, and, you know, this guy is French. Um, and, you know, this person comes from what their analog of the United States is, and this person comes from their analog of Canada. And... Um, and in some ways, it's a nice little shorthand to be like, well, if you put these things in, you can kind of start nodding at what kind of person they are or where they're from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a lot of these rich details. Are, are these things that we would find as a reader in the book, or is this just your own backstory that you use for writing them? It, it's, it's both. Um, you know, there's things I put in there that kind of nods, like my one of my uh, beta readers before I put this up said you know kate is very british (laughs) and she said she's hong kong british too which i don't explicitly ever say hong kong Mm. um but based on where she is where she's from uh the way her family interacts with her she's like oh yeah she's definitely chinese um Mm. and so that was you know that was kind of a nice nod like oh I'm, i'm doing this right okay um and you know the the characters who are French have very French names, uh, Paul Pierre or uh, that sort of thing, Michel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that sort of thing. I, I I kind of give nods and hints to who they are. Nice. That's great. I know world building can sometimes be really challenging, especially um, when you when you're working in fantasy or science fiction because. Mm-hmm. As a writer, I think it's sometimes defined, hard to find that balance between, okay, how much commentary do I put in here to explain my world versus telling the story? And sometimes that balance can be challenging. Did you find that? Well, for me, I should say. Did you find <laughs> that challenging? Um, well, that's a fantastic question. I, I actually enjoy world building a lot. Um, I do too, Yeah. I and it's it's oftentimes an excuse to have a story, uh, just build a world and then let people live in it and see what comes out of it. And uh, I I feel that's also uh, I'm huge into city building games, and I kind of feel like those two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, build a city and see what happens. I, I love building stuff, so um, the kind of putting that in there, I feel like I give people just enough. 
Um, I don't want to over-explain things. I don't want to, you know, say, okay, so this is their political structure. I'll, I'll let people figure it out. I'll drop hints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um, hard because there's a bell curve to it, right? Too much. There muscle. is. Yeah. So I, I, I like to give people just enough. And if it's not entirely clear, um, I guess that's my problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Today, I would like to welcome our guest, Ryan Leslie, on the Word Necromancers podcast. We are so thrilled to have the author of The River with us today. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? It's going really great. How is things in uh, Georgia? It's where you're at, right? Yeah, it is. It's kind of hot today. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it humid there? Uh, it's not humid. It's not humid, but um, it's that humidity is coming. Thank God yeah. it's not humid yet, but yeah, no, it's just really hot today. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask when the humidity starts kicking in in the south. Um, probably, it, it'll be here in a couple weeks. It just depends on, you know, how many storms we get. We get a lot of storms in the spring, so it just depends. Um, but definitely in May, I mean, we're going to be all out. Yeah, oh, oh my come gosh. July, come July, it's miserable. Well, come June, actually, it's miserable, but, uh, you know, you get used to it. Oh, yeah. I've I've been to New Orleans a few times in the summers, and uh, I don't think I'd ever get used to that. <laughs> it's, it's so sticky and wet. Do well in the heat. <laughs> yeah, it's just not pretty. Me and heat equals ugliness. It's not good. Oh, <laughs> I have fans everywhere. I carry fans with me everywhere. I'm always very hot anyways. So yeah, I'm pretty miserable. Yeah, that's why I live in Seattle. We don't really get a whole lot in the way of heat. So that's nice. <laughs> that is very cool. Well, for folks listening to the podcast, they may know Ryan more as the witch. She has this amazing alter, well, I don't know if I say alter ego, but um, persona. <laughs> That is on uh, Twitter, so uh, folks may not know you by your uh, true name, but they know you by the witch, I'm sure. They do, yes. Everyone knows me by the witch. Yes. So that was... um, And I'm going to just trip all over what we had planned about Philip asking you the first question, because I'm just so excited to ask this. Um, You have such a strong brand as the witch. How did you come up with that? Was that just a a happenstance, or did you like plan it out? What was was the thinking on the witch? Well, I've always had like the witch in me. She's always been there um, ever since I was little, actually. Um, But I didn't really, I couldn't really allow her to come out until after my kids got older and I got three kids and um, my youngest is 17. So now that he's almost done, um, she can come out and kind of, you know, dominate. Um, But she's me. I mean, I'm the witch. I'm a witch. And uh, I know... um, I've had to keep her hidden for quite some time because, you know, it's sometimes that's just not okay in a very um, strong Christian family, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, the brand itself, you know, that I that is all very uh, calculated and planned. But the witch is actually real. Um, the brand itself, though, that kind of, you know, I, I did plan out a lot of that stuff. But, I mean, it's just sort of grown on its own. That's, phenom- that's phenomenal. It's kind of like a viral you know, yeah. that it just grew from something that's real for you, right? And then it just blossomed into this following you have, because that's how I, I found you initially on Twitter was this strong presence that you have and following your tweets and everything just it's like packaged so well. And I thought, my gosh, she's just like the epitome of great branding. I've got to talk to her. <laughs> 
Thank you very much. Well, I really... It's been a long process. It's been a long process. You know, obviously, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, yeah, there you go. I mean, everyone, I can't be very strong. I, you know, especially with my poetry and, and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it, there is two parts of me, like where I live, you know, I'm just known as Ryan or mom, but you know, on my social medias and on my Arthur platform, I'm the witch. And eventually when I get out there and start meeting my readers and stuff like that, they're going to meet the witch, not, you know, the regular person that, you know, I have to pretend to be. (laughs) It's interesting that you mentioned that the regular person is who you pretend to be. The witch is really you. And I think that's fantastic because I think a lot of us writers put a great deal of ourselves into our characters. Yes. Do you feel like that's what you've done? I mean, tell us about your connection to your main character, uh, River. Well, um, you know, I... Everyone asks me um, about, are there witches in River? Um, Where does that sort of come in? And, um, you know, the witches in my series don't come in into the second book. Um, So I'm put into them when they come in. And you'll be able to see when people read um, Fate, my second book, they'll be able to see me very, very easily. But River is actually um, loosely based on my oldest daughter. Uh Uh, So because she's 17 and... Um, you know, this is this is told in her voice. This isn't in my voice. So it's totally different from my poetry. It's still very dark and painful and, you know, drama like that. But, um, you know, you don't really get my sense of character until the second book. But peop- I, I put in, you know, instances when I was younger at 17, you know, I put that in there too. But it's sort of a loosely based on my daughter. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Did you kind of intend that that was going to be the case, or did you realize it kind of after you were done? Well, I had the dream of River um, before my daughter hit high school. And so it was sort of on this back burner because, again, I was a mom and, you know, volunteering and just everything was so busy. I didn't get a chance to really go into River other than, you know, just in my head what I wanted. And then my daughter did hit high school, and our entire household totally changed it was like overnight she suddenly thought that she was this big bad girl and she wasn't like this sweet middle school kid so as her and I sort of tried to find um a you know sort of common footing as mom and daughter we fought a lot that is um put into River and her mother um with the battles we had and the more my daughter and I fought the more horrible things I did to River um because, you know, I was curious to see what would happen, how she would react if that was my daughter and I put her in that sort of situation. Interesting. I imagine a lot of mother-daughters will relate to that aspect of your story. I don't know how extreme it gets, but I think that's a... I remember the epic battles between my mom and my sister. I mean, they were pretty interesting. But you had mentioned that um, you had this first dream uh, when she was in junior high or, you know, kind of teen or preteen how long did this story kind of percolate for you before it gelled and you decided to sit down and commit this to paper I had the dream in 2010 and I didn't write her until like 2014 Mm. okay so a couple years yeah yeah she was always in the back of my mind and I knew you know everything that was going to happen um I hike a lot and 
like we were talking about, it's so humid and hot in Georgia. So when you go to my park, you know, you only get like one or two months out of the year that it's just, I mean, you can go all day. So it takes place. They live in the trees and it's outside. And I had never been to another park that had um, what I was looking for. And then just by chance, so I had the idea, I had the dream and then it was just in my head, but I kept thinking I need it. I need some place where these people can live, but I had never really been anywhere. You know, I've always stayed in the South. And so just purely by fate, um, my warrior had a work conference in San Francisco and my uncle and his partner live in Belmont. And the first I got to go out there and stay with them and he would, you know, ride the train in and, and see us at night. But the first place they took me to is Mere Woods. And I walked in, which is where my story takes place. And I walked in and I just got that feeling. I broke out in goosebumps, you know, tears in my eyes. I thought, oh my God, this is it. This is where they live. Hmm. So that happened in like 2012, but I still didn't get a chance to sit down and write her until June, 2014. And then she, I took my time and I think she was fully written um, by like October. Um, then that's the first draft, you know, obviously there's tons of drafts after that, but yeah. Sure. Sure. Well, and you, I mean, it sounds like you've done a credible job of balancing being able to make time to write and have all these other roles in your life. That's pretty incredible to me. So Um, that's great. (laughs) You know, when I first started writing, um, it was not met with, um, support, um, because Mm -hmm. I had been mom forever you know, stay at home mom, you know, I did everything. And so when I just had to start writing her, you know, they would come home and, you know, I'd obviously have dinner ready and, you know, do everything. But then when I would want to go back writing, it was met with resistance because, you know, they, it's again, even like today, they can't separate mom from what this other thing that I'm doing. Mm. So I did struggle um, quite a bit with telling them how important this is. And, you know, when I'm in my office and the door is shut, you can't come in. If the door is open, you can come in. But if the door is shut, I mean, you better be bleeding or the house better be burning down. And (laughs) it is, you know, it's been, it's been a bit of a struggle, but I knew the potential in river and I wasn't stopping for anything. So it really spoke to you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say is kind of your ideal reader for this work? My ideal reader is um, someone in high school who um, is just going through any sort of, you know, problem. I mean, I touch on every sort of issue a teenager faces in today's world. Um, everything. And I, you know, on things that people aren't comfortable with, you know, there's lines you don't cross and I cross them all, you know, from self-harming to depression to, you know, acceptance, which is really, really hard, you know, gay, trans, all of it. I, I bring it up and I do it in such a way where, you know, I make people question, you know, we are brought up to believe a certain way. And I want my readers to question what, you know, society says we should do. Um, so my ideal reader, you know, is like 15 and up, um, adults do like the book. It is, um, kind of got, you know, I've got kind of, a, um, you know, a, a lot of adults have told me they liked it. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good, you know, from 15 and up, I think it's going to be, you know, but it's, it's mainly going to be the teenagers. They're going to, they're going to be the ones that are going to read it and go, Oh my God, she totally gets it. And yes, I've been there, done that. At least that's what I hope. That's cool. What kind of feedback have you had from teen readers? 
Um, I've had a couple, you know, teens aren't reading today that, you know, they're just not reading books like they used to. Not, certainly not like when I was growing up, not when my kids were even in middle school, um, getting my kids to read past middle school was impossible unless we sat down and we read books out loud together mm. and mm. none of their friends are reading. I mean, they just don't have to, they have everything on their phone and why bother? So, um, the couple of teens that I had read it, they said that they just couldn't put it down because, you know, when you world build a fantasy world, you know, normally, if you know, for an adult, you can add in, you know, just long descriptions and really kind of build it up. But you don't have that kind of attention span with a teenager. You have to make it, you know, short and sweet, but give them enough to keep them going. And they couldn't put the book down. Um, all three of them loved it. I mean, it is only three, but, you know, we're, we're still doing our arc reading. But um, all three different people, total different walks of life, and all three of them said they couldn't put it down. That it was funny. Um, I do have, you know, things that they're interested in, like love triangles and, you know, humor. Um, the There's a huge... Um, cultural difference between River um, living as a human. She was uh, taken to the outside world, which is a human world, from the ebb, which is the fantasy world. And she was raised as a human for 12 years. So she, and she thinks she's a human. And so she acts, talks, and thinks like a teenager would talk when she goes back to the ebb after something happens. She's around other teenagers. And they don't, they've never held a phone They've never been online. There's no TV. It's this whole different, mm. you know, it's like they're preppers. You know what I'm saying? There's no sort of activity like that at all. And her, you know, hello? Nope. Nope. I hear you. Okay. So, um, so her trying to relate to after going, you know, like today, you know, the kids can do anything on a phone. They can do things that I've never done, you know, mm -hmm. and she doesn't have her phone. She doesn't have any of that. And she's got to go and they work during the day. They go down and they work in the farm and they, you know, take care of the animals and they actually physically work. There's no college. There's no one saying, what's your next step? She's a senior and no one's going, okay, you're going to college, you're going to the military, you know, mm -hmm. they don't drive. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different world. And her struggles with that are quite complicated because, you know, even her, her mouth, her cussing, you know, teenagers cuss, none of the teenagers in the ebb, except for the warriors cuss. So they're all very shocked by her mm. or, you know, just like, you know, saying, oh, that's cool. And they're like, they have no idea what cool means other than keeping something cold. So there is a huge clash between River and these other teens that are, you know, it turns quite funny because, you know, she's, you know, the way she talks and acts and, and they are very innocent. Um, I don't know. Do you guys know who Gar Cardi B is? Yes, you know who she is? I do. So it would be like Cardi B, I say it's like Cardi B going into Hogwarts, <laughs> talking the way she does, going in and be like, hey, you know what I'm saying? And then all that, they're like, what are you doing? We don't do that here. Or, you know, just her cussing or, you know, just situations. And so that's kind of like it is. It's like innocence, you know, worldly against innocence. And also in the ebb, it is a very old fashioned sort of way they make for life. You get one mate. That's it. There's no mm. making out. There's no kissing where River has come from, you know, having boyfriends and, you know, kids today do whatever they want pretty much. And then she goes in and they might hold hands. 
but there is nothing before being hand fasted. Mm -hmm. So even that, she's just like, you know, I I have a mate for life. What do you mean? I only have one mate for life. I don't want a mate for life. And so, you know, there are reasons why she had to go out and do this, but you know, the ebb, they don't like the humans. They see them as animals. They don't like any of the human ways. And she just comes in and she changes all of it. And I, and I, I like how I kind of, I, I put that huge, it's quite a lot of big clashes with that. And the teenagers that had read it said that it was fascinating. They couldn't fathom not having their phone. They couldn't fathom not turning a TV on. Mm-hmm. They couldn't fathom, you know, sitting on a front porch and just talking to other people at night. That's the other thing, you know, when you try to get a teenager to talk to you, like trying to get my son to talk to me, you know, he comes home from school, his phone goes on the mantle. He doesn't get it again. So, because he has to talk to me, we have to look at each other. Okay. You know, River goes there. She doesn't have her phone and they're sitting there staring at her wanting to have a conversation. She's like, what are you guys looking at? I'm not, I don't want to talk. You know, she's like, if I have my phone, I could text you. So her having to pretty much relearn how to, you know, look somebody in the eye and talk to them. And the teenagers that had read it said they couldn't fathom that. They could not fathom going into this other place and doing that. And they were just fascinated by it. I love this clash that you've set up between these really completely different worlds and kind yeah. of how they're, how they're going to smack up against each other, right? There's bound to be some yeah. serious tension when you've oh, got yeah. that big of a change between these two perspectives. So that's exciting. Yeah. You have a lot of themes of like fish out of water kind of, um, you know, facilitating change in the world around her. Are those themes that you relate to? Yes. Tell us about that. As far as you feel comfortable anyway. Um, You know, I don't, you know, I'm always the one that stands out. Um, You know, I've always been the black sheep, always have my head in the clouds, right? I don't understand, even like in today's world, you know, with say politics, you know, you can't talk politics with anybody without one side or the other jumping down your throat. Or, you know, you can't, you know, some people are okay with, you know, you know, being gay and some aren't. You know, I have somebody who who just came out in my family, and while we are very welcome and opening with it, because, you know, I mean, he's gay, he's totally cool with it. He has a friend that is, cannot come out, because his, his parents are, it would just be awful. So, I like the, I like causing waves like that. I like, you know, making people stop and think. I don't, I, I sometimes feel like we're all just like, every day we get up. We live and we go back to sleep. I mean, day in, day out. It's so monotonous. There is no change. It's like we're all sheep and we got to we got to put a roof over our head and, you know, we got to take care of our kids. And there's just no sort of coolness about it. And maybe because, you know, I'm, you know, obviously older and quite jaded by now. But I like I like shocking people um, and making them stop and go, wait a minute, did she just did she just say that? And I, and my books will do that to you. They'll make you stop and, you know, think about it. Um, I, I've always been like that though. I've always liked to shock, um, people, but you know, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not like rude or, you know, aggressive with it, but I want my readers. I want anybody who knows me and everybody who knows me, um, you know, I'm going to make you think about it. I'm going to make you stop and, you know, think maybe you shouldn't go with the crowd you know, maybe it is okay to stand out. And that's another th- theme with the book is different. You, know, you got to be strong. Let anybody tear you down and they're going to try to do that. And you just got to keep looking ahead. You can't look behind you at all. Just keep going. And um, that really comes across in River, I think, when, you know, with the book. Um, the, you know, I, 
am a feminist and um, I raised my daughters to have a voice and they are both extremely strong minded like that. And I don't ever have to worry about them not taking care of something, taking care of business. So River has that mindset. So she goes into a world where the warriors guard it and the fairs are like the submissive, do you know what I'm saying? The warriors are very dominant and they're just, they're, they are like sheep. They're just like, this is the way of life. We don't question it. And River comes in and she's like, oh, hell no, that's not going to work. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't care if you're a warrior or not. I'm not doing it. So she gets these other, you know, fairs to suddenly go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We do have a voice. We can say something. So there is that whole sort of theme in there. And she, I mean, she just goes in and she just changes everything. Totally. So I, I don't know. I don't That's know if that answers your question. No, it does. Totally. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's a very relatable theme being a gay man of age who's been around during a time when things were very different than they are today, at least where I'm at. I know there are still places catching up. Um, you know, those kinds of themes are very empowering and also very uh, relatable to people yeah. who are different for whatever reason, whether it's because you're gay or something else you know and so um i think that's great that's fantastic mm -hmm. with that um you know obviously river you know in the south you know the south can be very you know you know kind of you know they stuck in their ways sort of with the gay and the trans issues and i see it all the time and i don't get it so um River has the mindset that, you know, she's lived in the South. She has this and she grew up and saw the prejudice and all that stuff. So she goes there and there is a, um, uh, two warriors that claim each other. And she got really excited because she's like, Oh, you, they're gay. You have, you have that here again. This is like a 17 year old, you know, she's just talking off the top of her head and, but they don't call it that. They don't see it as being gay. It's just a claim your spirit and, and his spirit and his spirit went together and, it doesn't matter what sex you're in. So I, I do that a lot. They don't see gay like that. They don't, they, they don't see racism. They don't, you know, anything sort that sort of hate filled. They don't have that in them. They weren't raised with it because when the, the people of the, you know, the ebb, they have to go out back out to the outside. They are shocked by, you know, how hateful the humans can be. They are totally shocked by it. So, um, you know, I made it all very, I made it all okay. And River's really excited when she sees that because, you know, they're more accepting of something like that than, you know, the humans in the outside world. Um, yeah. yeah, I've so, never yeah. been to, the, I've never been to the ebb and I'm shocked by things I see too. So I can imagine that they would be for sure. You've been listening to part one of our interview with Grant Cravens and Ryan Leslie. Join us next time for our second installment where we get into more detail about Grant's work and some fabulous marketing and branding tips from The Witch. Join us then. Thanks for listening. Bye.